Hello and welcome to the show. My name's Lucy Taylor from Make Work Play, an organization on a mission to use the power of play to unlock potential and possibility. And I'm Suki Stewart from Playfill, a startup helping organizations to enable everyone to rediscover their creativity through playful wonder and serendipity. Together we are Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people radically reshaping the idea of work as play. Today, I'll be speaking to the comedy duo that is Ace Colwood and Scott Wayne, directors at Envoy, a consulting firm that investigates and influences human decision-making. Although they're reluctant to admit it, there's a seam of playfulness that runs through the work they do. Ace spent the early part of his career building tech companies such as Painless 1099, a tax and finance platform for freelancers, and Coffitivity, one of Time Magazine's top 50 sites of 2013. He's been the entrepreneur-in-residence at his alma mater school of business, a thoughtful facilitator and DEI practitioner for nearly a decade, and has held several board positions across non-profit, government and academic entities. ACE teaches skills such as aligning motives for success and connection, integrating DEI into core business functions, generating ideas for optimal solutions and building deep partnerships. Scott, having developed his craft in international relations at the London School for Economics and Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service, works through the realms of finance, award-winning consultancy firms and representing the interests of the British government as a diplomat. At the centre of it all is Scott's obsession with investigating the why of decisions and shaping them for better outcomes. He's dedicated to investigating opportunities, building partnerships and negotiating outcomes that provide stability and fuel growth. His engagements teach conflict navigation, stakeholder research, building strategic alliances and empathetic communication, among others. In this episode, we explore how play can loosen people up to allow for a different kind of conversation to take place. Play as a form of energy and how Pringles can be the gift that keeps on giving. So Ace and Scott, welcome to the show. It is so nice to have you here. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Lucy. And Lucy, thank you for making this podcast because today is clothing optional day at studio. And um, so everybody's just benefiting from this being audio. Are we allowed to say we've opted out? <laughs> or was that just implied? In so I see. Yeah, we, let's, we've like... Let's, let's say things that are... Started yeah. as we meet to go on. <laughs> Suddenly it's like, let's do that again. Let's do that from the top. No, I no, let's it. keep going, please. So, listener, just oh, so right. that, you know, I can We're see their video, even though you can't see it. It's not a good sight. We're... <laughs> you're you're <laughs> welcome. But, but, uh, to, to both Lucy and listeners, for whatever vantage point you have, you're all welcome. <clears throat> Poor listener. Lucky Michelle listener. Again. Yeah, let's go. So, I'd love it if we could start by you telling me what the word play or playfulness means to you. I would imagine... We thought the same thing when that question was posed. Um, no, I, I, for me, play, play is exploration and un, unstructured often. Scanning the world in which we exist and seeing all of the opportunities to push and prod and dig and learn. Yeah. Um, and that, that sounds, I think, heady, uh, but that's properly how I think about play. It's just what might, what could be, what might be. And can we go find that out um, in whatever way feels appropriate right now? So it's part spontaneity, part exploration, and, and uh, that's how I think about it or feel it at least. I think they're different. Okay. I, th I think of play as sort of a little annoying actually. Huh. And playfulness being wonderful. Go so I think play is like, oh yeah, everybody, we're gonna play now. I think of playgrounds at school, primary school, every, everybody's gotta go out and play. And you'd sort of go do those things that you're, you know, games, which is fun. But it's more like a sport. You play a sport, you play a board game, you play a video game. But playfulness is, oh, I'm just, I'm toying with it. There might be something in this. Like, let's see if there's something. And even actually thinking of it as a kid, mm -hmm. I think playfulness is more fun than play. play. Playfulness is like, oh, could we build a den out of these sticks down in the farmer's field? Play is just, oh, we're just running around playing tag. I think, I think you're completely wrong. <laughs> what a shocker. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, th I think it's the I, playfulness is the, that's the forced fake, like we're not getting the work done kind of thing. 
and play for me can be in the context of your environment, your setting. And so I, I think play as applied to work is more interesting to me than playfulness. Well, it's interesting because yeah, I think we're both leaning into how this has been come to hacking sure. phrases, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That everybody says, oh, we need to be more playful. We need more like play at work. And it's sort of like insert innovation five years ago or empathy for the past couple of years. Empathy. We just need to empathize more. Now, let me tell you what I want. Yeah, well, great job there. Or the innovation committee. I always love those. Or the chief happiness officer. Have you ever been to a building where they have one of those and it's some miserable looking receptionist? <laughs> so, Scott, you sound like a bit of a you sound like a bit of a skeptic about play at work. Tell me about that. I think you mispronounced curmudgeon bastard. <laughs> yeah. Like, was that the right answer? Yeah, because it's yeah. like it's a bit like saying something. Everybody's like sort of bought into this like quality of employee engagement and stuff is I, I think it's separate. I think there's there's time for creativity, but I'm not totally sold and Lucy will probably yell at me at some point. On like on work being work being play. Because I think leisure is play and work is work. That's why you get paid for it. And I I I don't mean that in that I want work to be enjoyable and I want work to be satisfying. But I am a little bit of a and I guess that a lot of it becomes definitionally around what we mean by these phrases of play and playfulness. That the idea that there's a massive difference between a great place to work and a great place to do great work. And I think they're very different and we don't talk about the difference enough. A great place to work is like, oh, and I get I get free breakfast and free lunch and there's a, a, there's a babby foot table and air hockey and, you know, get these interesting we do karaoke happy hours and whatever else which actually sounds hell to me <laughs> honestly but to the command but i also think silicon valley yeah no well but i'm not sure it's commod i i present it as commodionally i'm going to enjoy that i'm not sure it's commodionally i think it's a little bit about that sometimes these play playful environments these fun environments are used to disguise really meaningless work i think there's a correlation between companies especially tech companies that have all of these like benefits and present it as being really fun, meaningful work, but really they're disguising. It's just very tedious code you're writing that is transferring wealth from one place to another and not really making a big difference. I think you're on something really interesting there because I would agree. I think it can mask a lot. And I think there's something really interesting about purpose and thing and work feeling like mm -hmm. play, not in the gimmicky sense, but mm -hmm. in that sense of like, flow and where it feels easy and enlivening flow just gave him a soapbox i know but it. but we can go. we can we play with this because as much as like to we talked earlier you just said can we play with this not can we be playful around <laughs> i did to me but that's so i think that's okay yeah no i did that's a great point as much as i'm curmudgeon we laugh at work all the time yeah like I talk about, I wish there were recruitment websites where, you know, you rate how much you like the boss and whether you feel included and all those things. And it just had a scale of like, how often do you laugh? Mm -hmm. And laughter just, we just laugh all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or frequently, not all the time. And we work on some really serious stuff and very sensitive stuff. But but the humor doesn't, it's not a jolly laughter. I, I, think, the, I think these words are fascinating difference, but flow where you're playing flow where you're like playing an instrument as part of an orchestra or you're playing a sports game and it you just connect with the rest of the team that's an interesting where, where do you find flow most often do you think in the room when we're facilitating especially yeah. if there's two facilitators yeah. i literally i was at a hanukkah party last night and had this conversation about having two facilitators and lucy you and i have, have had the pleasure of doing some work together and what I find is really smart people who, the the way you said, but can we play with that for a second? Like that is how I think of play. When I say exploration, yeah, okay. yeah. it's can we dig, can we prod, can we go further into that without knowing what the end goal is going to be or without knowing what we're going to glean from it. But there is something interesting there. Can we go play with it? Like that's how I think. And that's why you don't like playful because it's too light. Yeah, playful is you it's get not serious. Like, I mean, uh, play yeah. is an extension. And so even when you said, uh, work is work and leisure is not. I disagree. I, but I, I, when I talked about scanning, it's because I see the world as there's an opportunity to inform how we exist and how we hone and how we get better. Every when I'm driving my vintage truck, it's that's play for me. But that's also informing how you have to listen to the thing and know where it's going 
which informs how I go into a room with clients as we're facilitating and you listen and you wait and you just like feel the thing. Like that for me, all of that connectivity is play. And so I, I, we were talking before the podcast, the three of us about not unplugging well, or at least I don't. I don't get the holiday. I'm an American. So, you know, I just work all the time. Um, But but what I define as work, like being in the motorcycle shop here at the office, again, motorcycle shop in our office, <laughs> for me going out there and tinkering, sure, I'll take a client call, but I'll like fix the machine and that's recharging, it's recalibrating. It's not time off. I'm working on a thing, but it is fun. It's exploration, it's scanning, it's informing, learning and playing. And so like that interconnectivity, I think, lends itself to flow. Knowing the two of you, I know you're constantly inhaling just things from your environment and that informs how we can play and where flow i think happens when when i'm feeling flow working with the two of you that's that's kind of where it comes from i think yeah i can we pause for a minute i hadn't realized you were american are you an american Actually, wow <laughs> it depends on who's asking they... <laughs> sorry lucy no, no, sorry are you to gonna say you something scott always I was going to say I'm realizing that one I'm I'm full of nonsense after I because I said separating you know work from lecture and we had just been having a conversation before this call about how I don't like taking time off because I love my work, um, but I maybe what I'm maybe what I'm wrestling with is mediocrity, mm. is that is and that's why I was intrigued by your hard play versus playfulness, yeah. is that we're drowning in. We really are just drowning in mediocrity. We are like corporately. We societally. Yeah, yeah, corporately particularly. We've become like the chain restaurant, the good chain restaurant in, instead of the neighborhood diner or greasy spoon and the boutique restaurant. We've just like landing in the middle and claiming it's the best. And it's not, it's dire. Mm. And so I talk about this, like I I talk a lot about this a lot, like the, the people who used declare that they're creative or innovative tend to be just upper mediocre and we're restricting and maybe that's my pushback it's the idea of like forced fun versus giving people the tools to really dive into something that's how you're using play get into it it's okay make some mistakes push it around um yeah versus the yeah that's never resonated with me no and i love that idea of using play or, or play as a means of achieving something great. So finding your way into yeah. that state that allows you to do something great. Yeah. And I'm really interested because you, I know you at Envoy do great work. And it's really, and when I met you, I was like, who are these, This what is this comedy duo? They were facilitating an, a very serious online <laughs> meeting. And I said to my colleague, man, we've got to uh-huh. up our game. Like they were, you were, you know, had this great, very, in my view, playful rapport going on. Um, so it's really interesting to me that you don't naturally associate yourselves as being playful because I immediately were like, these guys are so playful. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a well-documented phenomenon of comics being depressive, yes. right? That's a thing. And I, it's interesting because I, when you asked us to do this podcast, it's like, oh yeah, we'll do this because we're we're always laughing and joking around. And then I st- started thinking about, it, I was actually, I, I actually find this quite a serious subject, yeah. and that is being there's a risk of it being bastardized and industrialized. But yeah, so we walk in every morning, we see each other uh, six days a week, probably, probably. on average. And Talking. the the retort is always one of us saying good morning darling the other good morning honey <laughs> which often makes clients very nervous when they see us in the room um but it's sort of just saying that tone of there are going to be things that are passing our messaging systems emphasis on that because we don't even have clients send us emails for most of the stuff it's on encrypted systems because it's very very delicate sensitive often in international affairs or it's markedly sensitive very serious stuff and it's sort of setting this tone of there's only enough energy if we're going to take the issues really, really seriously, we don't have time to take ourselves seriously. No, we don't have the the, the energy bandwidth, yeah. the mental energy or the intellectual energy or the emotional energy to take ourselves too seriously. Uh, and um, I see that as an in 
an inadvertent competitive advantage relative to our competitors who take themselves very bloody seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. So you're taking the work really seriously and not taking yourselves seriously. One, as a means of protecting your own energy. But I feel like in doing that, you're unlocking something. Like, what do you think that approach unlocks in groups yeah. and in sensitive situations? <laughs> For one, I, I w I'd put maybe 90% on energy conservation. 10% is propaganda. Um 10% is, hey, nobody else would do this, but because of the caliber and the kind of types of work we do, the fact that we did that ridiculous thing and got away with it actually gives us another leg up. So to Scott's like, I'm, I'm just going to own that like it's at least partially propaganda. I know that if we pull this off, if we thread the needle well, if we get away with it, that's better for our business. So like, yeah, let me just yeah, yeah. Let me own that. There's like a, if you are, if you are, I think there's something implicit. If you're confident enough, to be fools publicly and humiliate yourself, humiliate yourself so you never humiliate other people, then you must be really, really good at what you do. Now that's up for debate. That might just be spin. We might be playing this, yeah. but I do think that comes across. And for the, for the counterparts we work with, those grant management consultants and strategy consultants and investment bankers that are frequently in the rooms that we're in, it is, it does make you vulnerable when you're taking yourself really mm. seriously because the slightest chip in that armor and you're humiliated whereas if um if we're not if we're able to laugh at ourselves early in a boardroom session or whatever we're working on then expectations are set that the quality of work is going to be great i want to be very specific about how minimal that propaganda piece is i think it's just innate to me at least i won't speak to scott although i know his humor and so there's like a slapstick element to scott Scott laughs the most when somebody has gotten hurt, and that somebody is often me. Um, he's, he's dying right now. Like, I, there is nothing funnier right? than somebody walking into something <laughs> or spilling Pringles. Is there? There's no better color beyond the Keystone yeah. Cops. Oh, can we talk about that though? Yeah. So, just a few weeks ago, Lucy, you were supposed to be with us. We we didn't manage to connect. We were we we were in Brussels. We're in this station, and um. We were, we were exhausted, so we'd put ourselves in first class on the Eurostar, and we're in that fancy sort of business lounge, just on a gig. It had gone really well, big international thing, and <laughs> he had with him a full tube of Pringles. Yeah, and he he opened it. No, it was in his bag. And as, I, I opened it the night before. He'd opened it, and as he pulled it out, it like the, his bag sort of caught the lip, <laughs> and it pulled the lid off, he and pulled a, a whole tube of Pringles it's his briefcase. <laughs> this is Lucy's sound. There was no sound. It was this this lounge was silent. There was no sound except for his whimper. He just went. Oh, God. I, still now, I can barely talk. <laughs> I, was like, I was so upset. I was curled up on the floor. I I've, I laid on the floor of this business lounge, like crying, laughing in agony, and. But I think, but if he'd have made a big Ferrari about it, or if it was like a joke, or it's, that's not funny. It's not even vaguely funny. It's not even on the. It's not on the land of comic. It's the. It's the small touches, and I think, actually, in facilitation, which is what we do, we negotiate and we mediate and we facilitate, is that the really smart clients notice. They later drinks after a session. They're like, "We, I saw you do that thing." I saw you, I saw that difficult question and through the guise of racial equity, you, you, you threw a hospital pass to Ace Colwood, um, or through the guise of, you know, Britishness, you, I saw Ace like hand you that question to deal with rather than him with a little twinkle in his eye. And that was, you were playing with each other. And I think it does open the door practically, actually, that type of humor to some solutions, yeah. but you know, you say your view and I'll, I'll come back to my. That was your view. No, I, so I, I think all of that is really important, and like how and when we choose to play, like that active choice, right? Sometimes that's stop laughing at the fact that I just dumped Pringles. But to be clear, we were knackered after that gig, and we were heading to London for another one, and so like we were exhausted, and it was that like little moment where you get to choose. It's intentionality there. You get to choose whether you're going to laugh at it. And to be clear, I was pissed. 
And all I wanted was some Pringles and like I hadn't eaten and it was a whole thing and I didn't know what time it was and I was on different times. I was like, et cetera, et cetera. And Scott died and you can't help but laugh at that. Like you have to, you can't not. And if you don't like that, talk about energy. Energy is not, I, I don't think, and this is going to sound woo, like it's, it's not this zero sum thing. We get to create energy, but it's those moments when we don't want to, that it's actually most beneficial to yeah. do that. And to like lean into, oh, that sucked. And so like all of that to say that choice, for me, I think that's what's innate. Like, I don't know how not to do that. We were we were in Seattle at uh, one of the big tech companies, Innovation Labs, and they have one like one of those grocery stores where you can scan, like it just automatically checks you out so you don't have to like use your car. <laughs> you yeah. pull it off and they have these scanners that track human bodies and I'm there. And we're, hang on, hang on. <laughs> So they anonymize the data, right? Yeah, this very large tech company based in Seattle. You choose which one it might be. Not that are very, very large that are called Microsoft. So anyway, you're in there that, and it's really impressive. So, so they have this thing in that they're, they're using cameras to track different bits and pieces and they have little stick men and women to illustrate the humans so that it's not taking it. They're not actually filming people, right? This is the technology that they were trying up. And we, we're there with a client and everybody's very serious. taking it very seriously. This techie is taking it very seriously. And then on this screen, because we're watching ourselves, I see this stick man start doing YMCA, which is this <laughs> idiot. <laughs> For like the full thing. And but, but in my head, that is that you can't not do that. Right? Like if there are stick figures and it's tracking and it's brilliant technology and it's like, it's the future of how we're going to shop and make purchase decisions. The behavioral economics and the psychology of all of the tech is fascinating. And in that moment also, yeah, you do YMCA on the TV that's tracking your body movements. Like how could you not? That that intentionality. And then the last one, the the gig that we... Hang on, can we stay there though? Yeah. Because the energy that it releases, I usually talk about energy, is that the team we were with, the client, are terrific. And it was all about their partnership with, with in this case, Microsoft. And they it loosens people up to talk about opportunity and risks of data and privacy and all of these things because now we've we've just opened it up. Yeah. When you're burning, a lot of what we do is building uh, partnerships. And so, and everybody in that room wanted to see how the stick man danced. Like it was like well, you could just feel it, and so it took somebody. There's a permission through. thing there when you choose to play. The last one I'll throw out is the the gig in Brussels that uh, that you missed, Lucy. Um, and you know, I, I'd imagine you'd have ended up doing the thing that I did. So I was channeling you when I did it, um, kind of, sorta. And you you can decide if that's a compliment or not, right? Because <laughs> we we did that question, the very serious, heavy question of what um, how, how do how, how do we phrase the question? What might somebody uh, not know about you? Yeah, some share something about yourself that people in this room. There we go. Don't know about you. And so we asked a very serious audience yeah. of like really seasoned travelers, et cetera, and executives. And uh, people were, they were being playful to yeah. start, right? Mm -hmm. Versus playing. They were being playful. And so they were like, like very benign. I play the tambourine and I, like, I know how to juggle. And then somebody says, I love sex. And then somebody else, a couple prompts later, goes, I love sex too. And there's like this natural inflection point where you get to decide as a facilitator, somebody on stage how to handle that. And so my, my response was really simple, but I kind of looked at Scott and it was at half a second of thinking about it. It was, uh, I read the two out. It's like, I love sex, I love sex too. And then I kind of looked at the audience who was getting ready to go to a happy hour together. And all I said is, I will see you at the happy hour later. And like you say that to the audience and it shifts energy from, Oh, we're being playful to, okay, we can play and be real about this thing because we've just been given permission to go. And it was around that moment that then went. And then, yeah, what came after that was I suffer from anxiety. I have depression. I was abused as a child. I'm having suicidal thoughts, which it, it opened the space up for people to, to your point, go yeah. deep. And then we were able to say, hey, when we said we'll see you later, that's not just for those that's for those who have something deeply on your mind. We will be there, walk up there. There are lots of resources for you through this group and association. And also for those of you who love sex, we'll definitely be there later. And you're sort of combining that jumping. So it's back to my mediocre point is never land, never ever land in the middle. 
like you are either the neighborhood restaurant or you're the boutique restaurant, but you're never the chain. And most shit's just yeah, but, chain. Most stuff on LinkedIn is chain. Most stuff on most most white papers issued by companies are this. Oh my god, mediocre, mind-numbing bullshit that don't. And most of the and it's all based upon like we can predict the future and this is where the trends completely ignoring the fact that every significant event over the past five years have changed things nobody predicted like nobody predicted any of this stuff and if we issued retractions for smartness so if we if you had to say oh <laughs> that report i wrote five years ago didn't forecast these things nobody would ever report nobody would ever report read any of these trend magazines versus if you can say actually i don't know which i think is a big part uh, of playfulness mm -hmm. right I, actually i don't know but let's prepare for the fact we don't know and look at some different and there's lots of examples in history of that playing with an idea resulting in in a great outcome one of the most famous is during the cuban missile crisis where there was this if you if you read the papers around what was happening this escalation between the soviet union and the united states it's really close to nuclear conflict and robert kennedy who is the obviously president of the brother of the president but also the attorney general came up with this idea that they would just pretend they hadn't received this letter of threat from the Soviets. they just act like it hadn't shown up in the mail. And there's an argument that that playful idea saved the world. It allowed for a de-escalation. And I think we spend a lot of time suggesting to clients that we don't do anything, which I think only comes from being able to think, not think differently, just think broadly about something. It's not thinking differently. It's actually thinking of it exactly the same way, just taking a broader expense yeah. of of inputs and the way he's like, well, one action would actually be to not do anything. Just let this play out, hold the line, etc. And that's not always our advice. Often it's to disrupt things, but that's rarely presented as an opinion. I yeah. want to come back to something that you said before about this kind of dance between holding things really lightly, the comment about, I'll see you in the bar later, and then going somewhere that's like mm. really tender and that requires a lot of compassion and holding. Because I think, yeah, there is this interplay between those two things, isn't there? The kind of open play as like an open or playfulness yeah. as an opener and humor as an opener in order to go deep. And I know that you both do a lot of DNI DNI work, and you have found quite a playful way into that. And I'd love just to hear a little bit about how you do that and how you play with that dynamic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The DNI work is is fascinating, and I want to kind of set the stage for where we are right now because that'll contextualize the how the work happens. Um, Budget, budgets are getting slashed across, I don't know, the, the, my country, um, I'd imagine, and I've seen similarly Let's, across Europe. Lucy in my country is basically <laughs> So you can buy it. A tenner. Which one of you is on the short list for Prime Minister? It's Lucy's turn next week. Yeah, we yeah. Have, there we go. Perfect. Yeah, well, as we could, I don't want to get into politics because then I'll have to look in a mirror as the lone American on this podcast. Um, no, I, the, the context though, budgets are particularly around DNI are getting slashed kind of globally yeah. in, in the kind of corners of the world that we see pretty regularly. Um, and then the economy is in a arduous spot at best. And I'm seeing a lot of folks who want to recalibrate their people to be better leaders into whether the impending economic dumpster fire, um, and and so those things seem incongruent, but they're actually really similar work. And so I'm getting asked to kind of scale back on the DNI front, but up on the leadership development front. And like for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion has to be interwoven into all of the work that uh, we do, like everywhere. Get leaders tight to get teams optimized to to make better decisions. Like we have to take the lived experience of the people, like for the people we work with and around but also the people that we serve like i have to have a lens that makes space for the way that they have existed in the world and their experiences so on and so forth and and so as we go into conversations a lot of it and this is where the play gets really interesting is giving people some context and permission to yeah. open up to start being candid and open and honest and real with each other so they can dial in the way that they work 
and understand the triggers that someone might have and the biases that might block them from being receptive to an idea um, and and the way that they communicate with each other. And so uh, part of the part of the playfulness, and this is when I say exploration and scanning, is knowing that there are going to be barriers as soon as I use the term DEI in some rooms. As soon as I say that term, that phrase, people shut down or half the room will, right? Hyperpolarized kind of environment that we're existing in. And so like for me, part of the play is exploring what we call it uh. otherwise, right? To, to talk or think about the Trojan horse into the DEI conversation, but calling it executive leadership or human-human connection. And so like all of that around the work and how we lead into it and pulling the pasty Brit into the conversation <laughs> to seed some of the uncomfortable questions that other folks might not have asked. Like all of those are intentional because we created space to say, hey, DEI is important as a subject, as a topic, the terminology we might be able to play with so it's better received and not neutering or making it palatable for the sake of the people who don't agree with it. But uh, I think delivering the outcomes in a way that is going to be conducive to behavior change like that requires play. And that's that's how I think about that corner of my work. You know, it's interesting as you're describing that, and I'm thinking this is a podcast, not a video, is that you're speaking just assuming people know that you're black. Because uh, if you'd have used those words and you're a white American, it's just a little bit different. It's, yeah. And so that's probably worth saying is that like even that, you, you use humor around your uh, racial identity and then you use humor around my racial identity yeah. as the pasty Brit, yeah. the middle class. And we use, so he'll run these exercises about in and out groups and who's in and who's out. And we rapidly discover that I'm never in an uh. out group, even one around immigration, because I'm an immigrant to the United States. I don't count because I'm British and try it differently. Even around accent and language, I don't count because I speak British English and therefore see myself as superior even to the 300 million natives that live in this country relative to me we sort of get there and go oh i'm never ever in an out group i've never experienced it and we joke about it and then yeah. we joke at my cost around things that white middle class men say and do and it sort of opens it i presume you do this to access white middle class men well yeah yes Maybe. and right i can if i call you the pasty brit then i can land the joke the the what seems like a joke but is not very much uh. one that hey as we think about in groups and out groups I'm a man, therefore I'm in the in-group, but I'm a black man in America, therefore I'm in the out-group, right? That's right on the heels of calling Scott a pasty brick. Yeah. And so, you know, it's almost like that peanut butter wrapped around the pill to give to your dog. Like, you get to drop the, hey, in 2022 as a black man in America, I'm in the out-group, and that's, like, detrimental to my health quite yeah. seriously. But also I'm working with the Brit, and so I can joke that he says things funny sometimes. And so that, like, that interplay of racial demographic dynamic it allows us to kind of drop the line about the thing that is actually important and folks onboard all of it because they're still kind of chuckling about the thing, which shifted energy to a place where I could like slot the other thing uh, in and it all happens at the yeah. time. And that, that's not... No, and it's like happened underneath people's... You've like snuck under people's immediate defenses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah, Those immediate defenses, are, yeah, that's kind of interesting is that how do you get people to lower their armor so that you can get the messages through and and lucy i think we've learned this from you to a large extent as well <laughs> yeah. and you do that through through laughter um because i as as i opened up this podcast i'm very cynical about this space and i've seen you do the work and have been uh reluctantly respectful of the impact that it makes which i think is probably the highest compliment i have to say well, that feels like high like praise coming time. from scott Thank you, Scott. It was said through slightly gritted teeth, listener. <laughs> it was not terrible. Yes. But, but, but that's important, right? Because I, I, and Lucy, I know this is your podcast and you're asking us questions, but I'm, I'm curious, like similar to using the term DEI, when you talk about play and improv, like do folks shut down? And I'll, I'll own my bias when we first connected. Um, we were doing a gig for a big international client. You were on, we were facilitating, and you came in to, I think, do a like breakout or a, a segment for the entire group. And when we saw the topic, Scott and I both kind of rolled our eyes. Uh, and then you came on, and you all were brilliant. And I, I mean that in the way that you lot would say it. 
um, brilliance doesn't mean anything coming from an American. So I'm using the British version of brilliant. When I say I thought you two were, I thought I thought you all were incredible. Um, but like we stuck around because we kind of had to be there and we were keeping an eye and like fell in love with the way that you approach the work and the way that you position and like make it accessible. And so I like I felt some tension there for like we had to be there for a thing that we didn't think was real. And turns out like you nailed it and continue to. And so like I continue to learn from you. But my question is, do you see that people shut down? When you tell them what you do and how um, you do it. Thank you for the question. We got there, didn't we? <laughs> and for, for <laughs> all the uh, for all the nice feedback. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like it's <laughs> a big. People feel quite icky about the web play. Like there's a, you know, it doesn't. Nat people don't naturally feel like it has a place in work. So part of this podcast is about like, oh. how do we rehabilitate that concept? Because I think it's a really important one. And often people are like, why don't you just call mm. it something else? But we feel quite strongly that no, we don't want to call it something else. Like it's play, it's playfulness. It needs, um, yeah, to be rehabilitated. And in the past I have snuck it in and called it creativity or innovation, but now I'm standing strong and I am flying the play flag yeah. quite proudly. Um, but I think it does require, so when we met, I did a laughter yoga session and that requires like full body, mind, spirit commitment. Cause if you do that half hearted, then you evoke all of those kind of feelings in people if they feel like you're not in it entirely. So I think coming back to the permission thing, yeah. it's about giving other people permission through like really embodying and modeling something yourselves. Yeah. It is a delicate line, isn't it? I'm, I'm thinking to sort of the role, you talked about bringing play back, Lucy, and I'm thinking of like the laughter, I'm from the northeast of England, and the sort of laughter that is inherent in industry, industrial sort of settings and manufacturing, there's a lot of humor. But that humor can be aggressive and it can be abusive humor or it can be at one's cost. My dad was an oil rigger. They just, they had it. They worked in the middle of the North Sea. It's tough work. It's really yeah. tough work. Um, but they'd laugh all the time. They were always engaging jokes and practical jokes. And um, But there's also this, you know, the roles of, of lawyers and the roles of political awareness, I think is an, it's an interesting thing to, to navigate. I'm sitting here thinking about, we, we signed an NDA going into that innovation center in Microsoft, which is, and I'm thinking, oh, should, should we ask Lucy to edit this? And it's interesting because you could then say, oh, it's a t large tech company in, in Seattle. And you're like, well. Um, and also the thing with describe by is in the public domain. You can walk into a shop in Greenwich in London, in England, and see it. Mm -hmm. But we, and so I'm thinking through this, not in the sense of like, oh, we're in trouble. I'm thinking through this. Well, we signed an NDA that we probably didn't need an NDA. It's actually in the public domain, but we sort of over-lawyer corporate mm. worlds. And maybe Microsoft will sue us for saying lovely things about their amazing innovation. <laughs> but the the um i but we do live in this world and i'm thinking like one of the things that we do to bring laughter to serious subjects is we're actually quite physical with each other yeah yeah um which isn't appropriate to somebody that has not given permission to do that and so it's it's sort of we'll squeeze each other's shoulders quite a lot or we'll pass comment on how the other looks or we'll i mean all the things that you should not do but we're in the middle of a conflict mediation and it works beautifully to put people at ease. Now, it would never possibly happen where we would say that to somebody who's a participant in the group. Sure. But we're actually not modeling appropriate behavior. If we if we'd like fully well, we don't have to be truthful, we'd see that you see it all the time. It's just owning that. But yeah, me walking in or you walking in saying, Good morning, darling, is not appropriate. But it it takes the edge off the room for our practice. So even the DEI stuff, you approach this not as diversity, equity, and inclusion, you approach it as conflict resolution between groups. Yeah. And so you're, we're essentially doing the same thing again and again, mediate, negotiate, mediate, negotiate under the, often under the guise of facilitation, but it's, it's really those two things. And, but that doesn't, that playfulness, maybe one day we'll get us into trouble. Yeah. And, and this podcast will be <laughs> in that. I mean, but, but there you go. Like, I mean, immediately you can feel the energy in this room 
dropping as we're like, oh yeah, we probably shouldn't do that. It, it, it's, it's an interesting place to walk. It is. I, I think important. It is. And I was yeah. in a, a meeting recently where there was a woman who can see energy and it was quite a serious meeting. And she said at the beginning, it was like right. heavy and heavy and dark. And then as soon as we started playing, it completely shifted. And there is, yeah. I think, especially when you do facilitation work, um, yeah, the ebb, managing the ebb and flow and kind of knowing when to like put something in that's playful to break some of that tension. I'm really interested to hear a bit more about like the conflict resolution work that you do. And do you, are there situations where actually you leave that comedic routine at the door or does it always kind of weave its way in? I, I don't know that I've ever left it. We've turned it down. We've kind of turned it on later, but I don't know that I've ever gotten the recession where there wasn't a wisecrack or a joke or a, a nudge or a wink that like happened in the session. Right? Yeah, but I think I think there's some not nows. Yeah. So that because afterwards we may have a drink after a session go. I'm really grateful you didn't land that line that I that I could see in your eyes. You would love to have landed that the of you know vice versa. Can I can I jump on that though? Yeah, I think that's play too. When you know your people, when you know your partners and the people you're working with, like you cannot make the joke and you've still yeah. made the joke, right? Like and and that not just for the room. It's not a broadcast playful or play all the time. Sometimes it's the thing that we didn't say that's hilarious because it should have been said or could have been said and yet held. Like that, there's an inside yeah. play between or amongst a team that is tight knit and doing real work that, like, that is never non existent. Yeah. When we're pissy and tired and like struggling, that's sometimes the thing that gives us that yeah. jolt of energy. It's requisite to get to the finish line. So I, I want to come back to energy yeah, yeah, yeah. in the conflict resolution. Actually, I think we use humor more than when we're, um, let's say we're giving a speech because we talk at conference and stuff. There's less humor there than there is in the conflict resolution. The, the conflict resolution is the humor allows you to close people down without their egos closing down. And that's a lot of what mm. you have to do. You have to take some of the dominant voices in the room and have them shut up and deploying humor to do it is the only way that i know of to do that without them shutting down as well because you want to close them down to create space for other people but not shut them down so they disengage and start sabotaging the program yeah. and humor is your asset there um the one risk that we have and i've realized over the past year we've developed a code look to remind ourselves not to do it is there are certain types that show up in these meetings and there's one or two that really trigger me and one or two that really trigger you. One overlaps, the other doesn't. And, you know, you can use humor very aggressively. I mean, if you can think in the moment, you can use humor to crush somebody. And there's times when we're tired where we'll go after a person and it's not really them, it's their type. And we have to remind each other, this is not the time to prove a point. This is the time to resolve this conflict. And when you're tired, it's harder yeah. to do that. There's certain... Um, yeah, there's there's uh what do I call it? There's there's Jason from New Jersey that is a certain behavior type in my head. And they're not always from New Jersey and they're definitely not always Jason. But that I have to be careful that I'm wrangling that human and not <laughs> that type. Uh there's also the aristocrat from England that as my northern chip on shoulder kicks in, I've got to be very careful with that as well. Um, I might too. Yeah. New Jersey and, and Hampshire. Yeah. Both are real. So there's a little down boy. Not Hampshire. I was going to say, speaking as someone oh, from Hampshire, <laughs> we seem to be on dodgy yeah, ground. Right. Maybe that was what the spiky start was about. Bucks. 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 Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah. I don't remember what the question was, but I hope no it it. Sorry. Yes. Oh, I want to talk about energy. So, Lucy, if if you change the word of what you do from play, I, I think it might be more accurate that you're in the energy business, which would switch even more people off. <laughs> but I do. But it is interesting to me because the outcome of the play often is energy, isn't it? And I'm reminded of a friend of mine back in the UK, Gillian, Gillian McGee, if you're listening, Gillian and I worked together on a few 
places and she would always she'd always leave bowls of fruit out all around whichever office she was managing and she's like this this stops them from doing energy spikes if i just leave fresh fruit around people will eat it and the sugars will keep them going through the day and they don't do a lunch spike and a breakfast spike and a you know snack spike and i think very i think of that often actually and i think about that as emotional energy in the room is you're actually looking for it to stay fairly mm. constant you don't want people posting and i think humor can be people start the day with high energy they're caffeinated they want to go late morning it it drops and i maybe we observe this i suspect we inject to humor at that point yeah. instinctively we do the same after lunch and we do the same around 3 30 in the afternoon uh and and then of course there's a natural high when people finish you don't need we, we actually never finish with a joke no we never ever wrap up a session we, we never parachute in a joke at the end it's just very quietly. Can I thank you? Yeah. yeah. I did. So I think very visually, and as we're having this conversation about injecting energy, like I'm thinking, you know, the flappy duck game, where like you're trying to keep the duck up as it moves forward. Like that's what we do. <laughs> we just hit the, we hit the like play button every now and then, and it like keeps it. At, but like that's kind of what we do through it. We uh, collectively, we do through sessions and like yeah. that little hit of uh, that little injection of play keeps people at a level that we can get the yeah. work done and get it done well um yeah i no, think I that's so that. interesting because yeah, i think I it that. definitely allows us to stay the course for longer like when we do when we do mm, things yeah. in a way that has humor and fun and play like i observing you folks at envoy my sense is that and you've described this you have a lot of fun together like what do you think allows that like how does that come about? I think being good, yeah, helps. Like, like for the people that we, and this hasn't always been the case. There are folks who haven't worked out, not because they're bad people. It's not an indictment of someone's character. It's like it just doesn't fit because there has to be confidence without yeah. arrogance, right? To know that this is what I do and I do it well, and I'm coming in and working alongside other people who not only do well, work well, but know they do. And so there's an iron sharpening iron and it, it, but for some reason, and this, I haven't quite put a finger on culturally for us at Envoy is that it's not competitive. Like we're, we're not cutting each other down at the knees and it's not trying to take you out of the game so I can be on mine. Like there is very much an, an understanding that, uh, we all work best together when we're yeah. all on. And so how do I mean, I, I think maybe there's this inherent understanding that play keeps our energy level too um and so i it's it's been very natural that we just play partly because that's because we're really good at the hyper niche kind of corner of the world we've carved out um and also because it makes for better work particularly given how serious the work that we do can so, be at times hmm. even when we're injecting play like i understand the repercussions of getting the decision in the room today and that has global implications for a large corporation or an international nonprofit and the lives of the people that they support. Like, yeah, that has to be really intentional and we have to be on way more often than we're not. Um, so that that's the thing for me. Yeah, I think it is. It's back to this this great doing great work versus being a great yes. place to work. And the like if 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 there's a group that needs to resolve a conflict, build a partnership or reach an agreement. I don't think there's anybody better in the world at doing it than we are. And there's lots of things that we're terrible at. Mm. Um, but, and within the team, we all know what we're best in class at. So between us, if we're in a room and it, it's turning into a negotiation, Ace will instinctively move to number two and I'll move to number one. If it's showing, turning out to be a mediation, I will instinctively move to number two and he'll move to number one. We've got Alex, our filmmaker, we use, we use media quite a lot in our work um, is just a world-class filmmaker. Yep. Uh, Fira, our chief of staff, is is just one of the most fantastic project leaders and managers and client wranglers that you can find. And I think if, but but you're a, you're a solid filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And if you were a filmmaker, it'd be hard to joke with you because you'd be slightly aware of, is this a dig at my work? Right. Whereas when we joke with Alex, he knows he's great. Yeah. And to be clear, people see us because we're on stage more often. That laughter is within the whole team, all 9, 10, 12, 15, depending on how you count it. Count it. Um, but I think it only comes from being 
um, being very comfortable in your domain, which requires you to stay out of things that you're only good at. It does. And deferring to others. And it allows, yeah, the humor of a compliment's really, like, I'll give V a hard time, our chief of staff, for being in my shit and, like, for trying to solve problems immediately. But V knows that she preempts 90% of the problems I'm going to have. Um, so I don't have to, right? So that 10% I give her a hard time about, she's like, yeah, but I'm on top of everything. So I don't really care. Like, that's funny in a way that somebody who lets a bunch of things fall through the cracks would be really self-conscious about and it'd be a shitty dig on my part and so like that only works in the way that we like to play which is not the forced family fun it's the taking the piss around people that we really enjoy like that yeah there's a dynamic there that culturally works i think for us yeah yeah sort of we're probably not sharing best practices that are good for large <laughs> organizations i mean quite seriously no. because sort of like feedback is so if if alex is showing us the rushes of a of a video because we, we do media with executives for them to communicate a point. And, you know, we're way more likely to say, so what was running through your mind when you shot that frame? <laughs> and that's that's his way of receiving information that 99% of this was brilliant. And maybe we make that 1% better. But if, if I said to Alex, hey, that was a really good video, mate. He'd be like, I know. Like, but how are we going to make it better? Of course it was a really good video. I did it. Like, how are we going to make it better? And that is not that is not corporate culture in yeah. most corporations. So if I told you you did, if we got out of a session or you were delivering a speech, I say, "Hey, that was really good." You'd be like, "You patronizing <laughs> bastard! Yeah. What what can I do to make it better?" Yeah, what did I? It, but it's infuriating to the team because I walk off stage and my singular question: I've gotten good. I wait at least fifteen minutes now. But as I walk off stage, my question in my head is, "What did I miss?" Right, and so like there's an element of like. Yeah, you play because you can, because there's enough confidence or comfort in the way that we work being yeah. good. How do we push to grade? And the laughter, I think, levels that up and kind of pushes. Yeah, us in I love direction. it. I love so. this link between that you have made between play and great work. And I wonder if you did have like something that's replicable or a suggestion or for somebody listening, like how to inject more humor play or or bring or bring that great work to life through play what would you say what would be your suggestion oh i've got i've got a few on this i, I do too. because i i would use i would use laughter as a measure of how well the organization yes, is i working. love that in the sense of you are either laughing because something went really well or you're laughing because something went catastrophically badly but it often catastrophically badly only happens if you're placing a big bet or you're doing something bold right which is probably great even if the outcome isn't great the 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 project the activity was probably great we don't laugh when things are just tripping up stupid stuff's happening we become frustrated by that and so if there isn't a lot there wasn't a lot of laughter here a couple of weeks ago we were like tripping over ourselves we didn't have flow yeah yeah if if you had a, a laughometer it would have been very low a couple of weeks ago it's back now. We're back in our flow. The team's humming. Um, so I'd use it as a, as a gauge for that. And then I'd structure it as a right and a responsibility. You have the right to play at work. You have the right to laugh at work. You have the right to um, have fun. You have the responsibility to make sure that your teammates feel solid and know where they stand. I'm not using the word safe and secure very, very consciously because people's idea of emotional safety is very different from person to person. They know where, this is my belief, is that they know where they stand. They know that they're doing good work, especially if they're junior to you or peer. Um, and their responsibility is to carry their part yeah. of the team. And if you're doing that, let's play, let's laugh, let's, but, but they will be back to basics if we're not meeting that responsibility. And that is, that's not so fun. Back to basics isn't so fun. Oh, I, I agree. Um, so I, I, I think that's a, a very strategic lens and an important one visionary I know, or, I know, that was the word that sprang to my mind scott <laughs> um <laughs> i'll give i'll give a, a tactical one like yeah. a thing that we might be able to do um or behaviors we talk about and it, it's around worst idea which oh, yeah. i like one of my favorites a lot of my work is kind of in the creativity and innovation space the words that Lucy has opted not to use because her work is better than mine. Um, 
So that that's what I took away from that. She's not using creativity and innovation. Those are my words. Um, but we, we use a technique called worst idea when we're kind of walking people through the process of innovation. The anatomy of a good idea is kind of the framework that I park it in. Um, but worst idea, pretty self-explanatory. Like as you're trying to surface a way that we might accomplish a task or get to an outcome, I like intentionally create space for folks to share the dumbest way that they might go about doing that. Right? We just call it worst idea. And it's like, let me have those. And I find that it shifts the energy in the room when somebody says, and I'll give them a benign scenario, get so-and-so from one side of the river to the other side of the river. Everybody goes to bridge out of the gate. And the like takeaway is never stop at bridge, right? There, there are so many other ways to get me to the other side of this river. Um, and so when somebody says, you know, uh, jet ski across, I'm like, okay, that's fun. When we go to worst idea, somebody inevitably says, well, put them in a cannon and fire them over <laughs> the river. And that's hilarious, right? Like, there's a Larry Carly Moe component of humor to that, but really it just gets people out of their own way of, I have to be very serious, we should build a bridge. It's like, no, we can evil can evil this thing, let's jump a dirt bike over the river. And so that worst idea as a concept and as a process shifts energy when people have hit their wall, they start laughing and we know that energy bump starts. I mean, you get another 10, 15 ideas just out of worst idea as a catalyst, it allows voices that haven't been surfaced to kind of inject the thing that they were thinking but were scared was going to be seen as dumb. And then it allows the people who think they have a good idea that might be perceived as dumb, but they know it's good to park theirs. Like it does so much, but it's just, it's kind of positioned as let's play a little bit. Give me the really bad ideas that nobody's brought up. And I find that that if, if an organization were to say, how do we start injecting play or creating space? Like worst idea as a concept, just start seeding that, hey, we now have a language. When I'm outside of this room and we're not ideating, I can still say, hey, I'm going to give you my worst idea and park that. And so it's just, I find that that is a tactical, yeah. tangible thing. Every time you're coming with ideas, use worst idea as part of that ideation exercise. And I think that starts to shift culture as much as it gets some good yeah and i love that. it it's a great gift it's a lovely piece of language that you can share and yeah. it's generous and it i can totally see how that would shift the energy it's the idea of momentum because i'm i'm trying to find a way to express that i don't love the holidays and i love the holidays at the same time so i love the holidays and kids will have a great time all of those things and i kind of like twinkly lights and santa and stuff at the same time i feel like the holidays you lose momentum and as you've been talking, I've been thinking about how you need, like there's this movement to humor and a joke. So the holidays, you sort of lose momentum. I think of a joke like those amazing Billy Connolly stand-up routines where he'd be on for two hours and he'd start the beginning of a joke. And then he'd, he'd go down a sideline and tell all of these different jokes. And right at the end, he'd finish the punchline to the first joke that he started. And I think that there's a there's a format with us is that things carry over mm -hmm. and that there's this constant movement. So three months from now, there's a very good chance that you have a rough day. They were on the gig and you go to bed and you pull back the sheets and there's just Pringles all <laughs> over your bed. And I've booked the room next door for you, right? But in of itself, like that gag isn't funny. Just say, somebody having a bad day and sabotaging your room isn't funny at all. <laughs> somebody having a bad somebody having a bad day. See? Somebody having a bad day, getting to your bed, being just wrecked, rolling to bed and crunch crunch. And then the text being the key to the room next door is in the bathroom drawer. Have a good night's sleep is brilliant. It it is. But without the momentum, there's no there's no thing you have to you can't inject play as a measure of desperation or a kind of hail mary last ditch I mean, yeah yeah you have to have been building that yeah. in regularly and intently so you have it when you need it yeah. most and people try to use it when they need it most without having created the space yeah. for it um that i think is the through of our work of your work yeah probably a good time to <laughs> I think that is a beautiful thought to end on. Thank you so much, Ace and Scott, for coming on the show. It's been a total pleasure and a giggle, as always. C 
So how was that for you, listening to our conversation? I mean, hilarious. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What a duo. I really want some high stakes conflict going on that I can get them in the room for. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm completely intrigued to to kind of see them in action. Yeah, amazing to hear about. But I think one thing that um, the conversations kind of started at and circled back around to was this lovely distinction between the difference between a great place to work, you know, an organization that has perks and benefits and there's a great environment and a place to do great work and mm. the really subtle nuance between those two things that, that aren't necessarily the same. So I really like that distinction first up. Yeah, and I quite enjoyed the fact that Scott finds play annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I think when we got under the skin of it, he changed his tune a bit. But um, that pushback, I think it's really helpful because I think it is representative of how lots of people feel about play. Yeah. And all the preconceptions that come with it. And it was nice to have that challenge. Yeah, I completely agree. A challenge from a a secret advocate, but a challenge nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, no, there were just so many kind of really helpful nuggets I took from the conversation. One was the, the question of, can we play with that for a second? At one point that was said, and it was, it wasn't even like, hey, here's a tool or a technique you could use. It was just in the conversation. It, it was asked, can we play with that for a second? And I thought, such a simple question. Um, but it's so powerful. To, and, and you could say it in kind of any environment, at any meeting. You're not saying, hey, let's, let's get up on our feet and play, everyone, because that can be a, a tough ask in some scenarios. But I can't think of any meeting where you're, discussing a challenge or a problem you're trying to solve where you couldn't say huh yeah I like that idea can we play with that for a second and just what the possibilities might be if we could just ask that question where could that take the conversation and it just felt such a sort of low stakes easy entry point into using the idea of playing with an idea um, that I think would be kind of welcome in in most sort of business interactions yeah and that um I think it was Ace who was talking about play being about the what could be what might Mm. be that sense of possibility yeah Mm. definitely and the another thing that I I noted down was this idea of vulnerability and and I think play and vulnerability of of, a very kind of close close cousins but the reference about when when we take ourselves very seriously we're actually more vulnerable Mm. in, in their experience and that any chip in the armor is then very, very sorely felt. Whereas yeah. if we're comfortable laughing at ourselves from the off, that kind of armor isn't there to be chipped away at. And it's just, we're actually less vulnerable. And I just, I thought that really turned this idea of kind of being playful and putting yourself out in the world in a way that you're laughing at yourself and you're being playful. You know, often we think, well, that makes you more vulnerable. But actually it was this idea of, well, when you're wearing that armor and you're taking yourself mm. very seriously, that's when you're really setting yourself up. Yeah. I love that yeah kind of perverse turning on its head yeah and there's a Brit there was a brittleness that mm. comes with that isn't there that taking oneself really seriously mm. like a delicious um, peanut brittle when you said brittleness I was like mm, peanut brittle <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think also what was interesting about that was actually they're only able to not take themselves seriously because they've done the work and they put in the hours mm. to know that they're like really good at what they do yeah that that decoupling of taking yourself seriously and taking the work seriously again just I loved hearing about that and this idea of they do take their work very 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 seriously but it's almost like that's taken up all the serious energy in the room or all the serious energy that's available has been taken up on the work and therefore that that seriousness has has been paid its its due course and due respect and and They've decoupled themselves from that work. Um, I found that that was that was great to hear about. What yeah. else came up for you? Well, I think there's this thing about people having a right to laugh and have fun, but a responsibility to their teammates to make sure that they know like where they stand, that they have their mm. back, which comes down to having like all the nuts and bolts like perfectly tightened, everything's in mm. place. And then it's like the fun is the stuff that can happen on top of that. Mm. And I thought also, you know, you've got these decision points as a leader where you can choose if you're going to laugh or if you're going to, you know, blow your lid. So, I mean, the Pringles example, which made me howl 
<laughs> as I was re-listening to it. Um, you know, that that just sets the tone, doesn't it? And I think if we have a propensity to laugh at ourselves more than we don't, you know, I think you can really shift a dynamic within a team, within an organization, especially when that comes from the leadership. Mm, totally. And, and kind of building on that point around the shifting, um, I really enjoyed hearing the reflections on energy um, mm. and how you were talking about the women that you'd worked with where she could kind of see an energy in the room. And I was pondering on that and thinking, you know, you can always feel the energy in the room, even though it's, you know, invisible to the, the majority mm -hmm. of us, but it's kind of how quickly that energy can really shift through introducing a moment of play or humor or laughter, as you were saying. And, and I was thinking, you know, energy is everything, even in the most informal one-to-one -one interaction, how you show up and the energy you're both bringing, but, mm -hmm. you know, versus the, the, the very, um, you know, stressful, high stakes conflict resolutions that, that, that Ace and Scott would be working on. I just thought, you know, what can be achieved in a room with light, warm, open, trusting, engaged energy versus what can be achieved, you know, when the energy is uncertain, it's, and, you know, that's, uncertainty is also part of play, but that kind of reserved, anxious, closed, defensive energy. Yeah. Um, and just the discrepancy in the outcomes that can be achieved just down to that energy in the room mm. and how play can be such a factor in shifting that I think is really powerful yeah and what they were saying about particularly in the DEI work where they bring the play and they bring that interplay between their different racial profiles to the mm. table and they poke fun at each other mm. and the playfulness of that allows people's defenses to drop there's mm. laughter and then they can sneak the insights and those kind of really more punchy um, thoughts under the defenses so like yeah play as a way in and and as a way of aiding behavior change mm. because it lowers resistance and defense I thought was really interesting yeah and probably my last <laughs> lasting memory from the conversation was a visceral description of uh, Pringles in the bed <laughs> and, like the roll over and crunch crunch I was just like oh that's so true that's so incredibly crunchy can you imagine rolling over in bed so thank you for that yeah and then the idea of Scott like just dying with laughter in the other room the glee that he's played an amazing prank so good so good <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review as it really helps us to reach other listeners. We're releasing episodes every two weeks, so do hit subscribe to ensure that you don't miss out on more playful inspiration. Don't forget you can find us at www.whyplayworks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to join our growing community of people united by the idea of play at work, you can sign up to the Playworks Collective on our homepage. If you have any ideas for future episodes, topics you'd love to hear about, guest suggestions or questions about the work we do with organisations, we'd love to hear from you. Your feedback really matters to us, so please drop us a line at hello at whyplayworks.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new guest and we hope you'll join us then. <laughs>